following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. Christianity has become known for judgy people, strange words, ancient stories, confusing rules, and a members-only mindset. This is why I stayed away from the church for so long, but it's not supposed to be that way. I'm Jill Devine, a former radio personality with three tattoos, a love for a good tequila, and who's never read the entire Bible. Yet, here I am hosting a podcast about faith. The Normal Goes a Long Way podcast is your home for real conversations with real people using real language about how faith and real life intersect. Welcome to the conversation. Hi there, and welcome to Normal Goes a Long Way. I'm your host, Jill Devine, and it's time for part two of the conversation between Laura and Kia. When I think in general of, of human trafficking, I think of like somebody who is being held against their will. But more and more, we're learning that is not the case. Like in your circumstance, you were free to come and go, but you didn't feel like you had the resources to exit the situation. So just because um, someone looks like they're having a good time and having fun in this environment does not mean that it's not abuse. Because if if they're underage, it is abuse. Right, exactly. In the state of Texas, um, you have to be 18 to be considered a non-minor. And so if you are under the age of 18, um, you are not able to consent to sex, first of all. You're under the age of consent, and so it is automatically illegal, right? And so my story and my situation um, is one way that this happens. But you do not have to be without money and resources and means in order to be mentally trapped into um, this lifestyle, right? And so we have to look at the process. We have to look at the means and we have to look at the, the end. This is the goal and the game of the trafficker. So first of all, in the process of recruiting, they're going to groom you in some way. There's going to be something that they do, some need that they provide. They're looking for low hanging fruit. They're looking for vulnerabilities. And vulnerabilities do not have a socioeconomic status attached to them. So they're going to recruit um, or harbor or move or obtain your person, your image. Okay, so this was in 1997 with me. Now, um, one of the ways and means of trafficking is through um, images, all right, pornographic Im images that are uh, uploaded to the dark web, etc. cetera. Um, but so you're going to look at the recruiting process. You're going to look at they're looking for, for and searching for vulnerabilities, okay? And they're going to become everything that you need. You have a bad relationship, they're going to be good for you. No one listens to you, they're going to listen, right? Then the means, force, fraud, or coercion. Okay, so it's very possible that you get caught up into sex trafficking by force, okay? That's like you would see in the movie Taken. You know, right. They dock you out, they drug you, they drag you, you're gone, you're missing, Okay. But that's not always the case. There are many parties <laughs> that you might attend from um, someone who is setting up um, and looking for uh, some, uh, uh, someone who would be the next victim because this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Let's not forget that. And so, uh, you know, I think of college campuses. I think of high school parties where they're drugging 
um, individuals and performing acts, videotaping it, uploading it, that's also sex trafficking. Okay. Um, or um, they're, they're using text messages where the so-called boyfriend or girlfriend um, is requesting images, right? And then, you know, they use those images um, also as a way of revenge to say, hey, if you don't do these other things, I'm going to send this to your parents or to your, this person or that person, or I'm going to spread this all over the web or whatever the case may be. And so I can go into so many different nuances of how this works, but they're going to either force you somehow, they're going to, you know, be fraudulent in their luring of you, um, you know, or they're going to find a way to coerce you into uh, doing these things. But it just depends on the situation and the environment. And their end goal is basically either involuntary servitude, okay? Uh, There's debt bondage because let's understand that this happens not just in the U.S., but it happens globally, Um, or flat-out slavery, right? I would say that I was in the category of slavery. That was sex slavery. You know, um, I was living in this particular place, um, even though I could, quote unquote, come and go as I please because of all the psychological and physical abuse and threats of death. It was slavery. Right. And so um, they're going to force you into some form of commercial sex act. Okay, that's another that's another way. So there's all these different uh, ways that this happens. Um, My story, um, you know, I was vulnerable as being a teenage runaway, but this is not the only way that it happens, you know. Um, So you've seen some of in the news, you've seen the Epstein case. Okay, this Mm -hmm. is not a situation where you're dealing with people who are uneducated and um, they are, uh, uh, you know, at the bottom of the rung of society as far as socioeconomics. Um, You're actually looking at people who you know, need a better quality product. And so they're going after the college students and they're going after, um, you know, the women and men, um, because this is not just an issue with women and girls. This is also an issue with boys and men, but they're going after, you know, quote unquote, prime stock. So it's, it's it's very, um, it's a very difficult, complex situation, but the end goal is money. And with humans, you know, with drugs, once you use the drugs, they're gone. All right. So they're always looking to find more drugs or create more drugs to sell. Right. But when you talk about a human, you're talking about an individual who, you know, in some cases you think about, you know, some of the sex slavery in Southeast Asia, where uh, these women are literally in cages and hundreds of times a day until they die, their life expectancy um, when they enter is about eight years and then they die and they start off sometimes even as little kids where this is happening and it's not uncommon to find them on the side of the road discarded after their bodies gave out because they could no longer be used again. So this is a very complex issue and um, that a lot of research has been put into, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. You know, I could give you statistics, but um, you can research the statistics. I'm just one of them, right? I'm one of those who has had this experience. But by the grace of God, I'm a survivor of it. Um, you know, this all happened to me in 1997 is when I made my escape. Yes. Tell us about that. Tell us about how you finally got out of it and what role God played in that and um, how he has worked in your life since then. Right, right. So, um, 
I actually got out because I had a nervous breakdown. Okay, um, that was a lot to go through um, in a short period of time from 1992 oh, to 1997. Excuse me, 1991 to 1997. That was a lot to go through in a short period of time. And there's only so much that the mind and body can take before it shuts down. And so I did have a nervous breakdown. And in that nervous breakdown, I was able to get help. And that's where the pause in my life happened. And I, I really do believe that um, I experienced all of those horrible things. Um, I, I don't know why I experienced it. I just know that I did experience it. And what that did with my faith is when I moved back to Dallas, Texas, it was my brother and his wife at the time that actually moved uh, or excuse me, went to New Jersey where I was living um, and signed me out of the psych hospital and brought me back, right? And my brother, one of the first conversations that he had, he said, you know, I know you've been through a lot. Here's the other thing. I lied to my mother and my brother about the lifestyle I was actually leading. And because I was not living in the same state with them most of the time, and even when I was with my mom, I just, I told a lot of lies because there was a lot of shame involved. But once I was in that hospital, I fully disclosed everything that I had been through. And so my brother allowed me to just kind of, he kind of nursed me back to health, basically. And he said, you know, I know you've been through a lot of things, but we're, one thing we're going to do is like we did when we were little, we're going to continue to go to church. And I agreed because I was just in a mess. And church had always been a place of um, comfort for me, right? And it's in that setting that I was able to rededicate my life uh, to Christ. I understand that's not necessarily a theme <laughs> that uh, uh, when you talk about rededicating your life in the Lutheran setting, my husband and I are uh, in the Lutheran church. That's maybe not quite how they would put it, but you know, I, I spent more of my life charismatic. And so um, I would say once I rededicated my life to God and I just listened to the love um, that was poured out to me in that setting and responded to that. Um, I was able to pivot, you know, and I really feel like God was instrumental in helping um, to bring the healing process into my life. And I found that through my faith in Christ. Hmm. And I remember in the book, there was a particular moment you wrote about when you were at your brother's and um, you were having like, I don't know if it was a hallucination or something that somebody was coming after you in, yeah. in the dark. And I remember that you said you just started crying out to Jesus. Talk a little bit about that moment. Absolutely. And so, um, and I'll have to backtrack just a little bit. Um, I was in a relationship with a man much older than me. He was about 41 years of age when I was 22. Um, and you know, he was a sugar daddy type, if you will, right? Uh, he was also a warlock. And so this is the spiritual side. The other spiritual side to this was, um, you know, in following him, I basically dibbled and dabbled in the occult. And when I broke away, had the nervous breakdown and went back home, um, I felt as though in addition to the mental illness I had been labeled with, um, that there was a very spiritual aspect to... Um, to those experiences, right? I believe totally and wholeheartedly that my experience was the devil's plan for my life and what he wanted to see to still kill and destroy from my life. 
And so in that moment in my brother's uh, living room, I remember having just a lot of problems trying to sleep, right? And I would be tormented in dreams, etc. Some of that was the medication. I feel like some of that was also spiritual. And mm-hmm. I had a moment where it was um, like I heard the voice of his dog in the back room. Okay, not the voice, but the sound of his dog panting in the back room. And he had a beautiful chow. And I was thinking, why is he up and stirring around? And why can I hear him so loud, first of all? And then I just realized I, I heard that voice or that sound amplify. And it sounded as if it was coming down the hallway. And I was immediately sh- stricken with this sheer fear, wondering, okay, this is not normal. This doesn't make any sense. And again, it was an amplified uh, sound. And so I just had an interaction that I felt was highly spiritual I don't believe that it was a hallucination per se. I didn't see anything, but I just felt a very demonic presence um, in the room. And I remember at that moment being so terrified and crying out to God. And this is not just being in the church setting, but in that moment, it was about me and Jesus. (laughs) And Mm -hmm, I'm like, if you're really real, then I need you to show up right now because I don't know what's going to happen. I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. I had words similar to that. And I just remember literally feeling, and I used to hear the old people say, oh, God will bless you. Feel them from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you know, because I grew up very charismatic environments. And so I literally felt a warm sensation from the crown of my head, literally go all the way down my body to my feet. And I felt the peace of God and I knew it was the presence of God. And I actually drifted off into a very deep sleep. When I woke up the next morning, it was as if I was healed. It was as if it was so surreal that the birds were chirping extra sweet. The sun was beaming extra beautiful. And it was truly the beginning process of my healing uh, journey. And so I began from that point just serving the Lord wholeheartedly. I felt if I could serve the enemy wholeheartedly, and if I've been through all of these things that made me feel hopeless. Now that I have hope, I'm going to serve wholeheartedly. And that's exactly uh, what I've spent the rest of my life doing. There's such hope in that. And I hope that everyone listening knows that that same grace and healing power that you experienced is, is available to them. And that in our darkest moments, you know, crying out to Jesus is sometimes the only thing and also the best thing that that we can do and i'm so glad that that you've been able to feel his his mercy and his grace and his healing in your life what what happened next because that's kind of where you ended the book right. and i was like but wait a minute i know <laughs> that like you know you're my age so like 20 years has passed since then <laughs> what has what have you been up to in your life and um what is your calling right now absolutely and i will quickly touch on this um because that sounds like a beautiful fairy tale almost that there was the fact that she lived happily ever after but um that is not entirely true <laughs> Right, right. It's never that simple. It's never that simple. I have to say, and I have to mention the importance of mental health care. Um, I have to let you know that I at first rejected it. For many, many years, I felt like the church was enough. 
doing good works was enough. Getting involved in the church, that was enough. And it took me literally about uh, 15 years of living that way before I bottomed out and realized that's not enough, that I do need God plus a therapist. Uh, And I need a therapist just like, um, you know, you take your car in for checkups at certain times and you get your oil changes. I need a a therapist on speed dial um, to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. And so the journey has taken even a more in-depth level of healing has taken place. But in between that, right? So um, I guess it was 2000, yes, in 2000, um, the church that I was attending, which was a a mega church um, in the Dallas, Texas area, I remember um, just giving myself wholeheartedly to, um, I wanted to be a part of missions. And I got involved in an internship program called the Master's Commission. And I dedicated two years of my life into learning um, about Christian service, um, being an intern in this church, this 21st century, you know, um, upwardly mobile um, church that was making impact um, in the local area and around the world. And I was able to travel and, um, you know, around do conferences and pretty much intern from A to Z in the different um, businesses that this pastor had. And so um, that's where I met my husband. And so that was um, in 2000, um, 2001, by the time I met him. And, um, you know, we quickly, we shared a lot of the same um, interests and we quickly, um, I guess, fell in love. And um, then we got married and he was an associate pastor at this church. And so it was a very odd couple, <laughs> you know, uh, I felt, but you know, it's, it's what happened in my life. And so that was part of my redemption. We went on to have mm-hmm. three beautiful children. Um, I have Christian, who's my 16 year old, Ajane, who's my 19 year old, John, who we call JJ. He's the third, um, who is my 20 year old. Uh, Janae and JJ are in college, Christians in his 11th grade year. And we have been considered um, more recently local missionaries in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, but throughout that entire process of when we got married in 2002, um, and we've been married for 20 years as of April, um, April the 21st, uh, we've been in ministry, you know, uh, more youth ministry than anything. And um, more recently, um, we um, actually have been in ministry uh, with a mission that is called Mosaic Mission Network. And we resource, um, through the Lutheran Church, we resource Liberian pastors um, by helping them to obtain grants to go to seminary and to come up under um, the denomination of the Lutheran Church and to serve um, that particular community. So my husband is from Liberia, West Africa, and that's how that came about. Um, So that's what we do ministerially. Um, As far as advocacy goes, um, I actually, of course, use my voice to advocate for those who are trapped um, in human trafficking and sex trafficking um, by the use of my story. I also do workshops, facilitate workshops for other anti-human trafficking organizations, Um, and pretty much anyone who will hire me to come in front of their people to express to them the importance of educating themselves on this issue 
right? And so um, I also currently work at a safe house um, in the North Texas area. So I work directly with the population of women who are coming out of um, sex trafficking and domestic violence um, situations and um, restarting their lives and gaining the necessary life skills. That's uh, Bochi's place. Um, and so I'm very grateful to have the opportunity now to make impact. And I'm really new on that journey of advocacy, right? And uh, the more that you learn, the more that you realize that there's a need. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm just dedicated for the rest of my life, I believe. I feel that this is a calling um, to bring awareness and make impact in this space. You know, I can't do it all. I just do my part, right? I do my part by sharing and, and educating. Well, and thank you for doing that because it's it's hard to share your story. Um, all of us have stories and all of us have darkness that we've walked through. Um, and it's tempting to keep the darkness hidden. But God, when we bring it to the light and use it for his glory, it's amazing what, what he can do um, with our stories. So I, I so appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability and um, especially what you just said, you know, about the importance of, of mental health. Um, I also went through a nervous breakdown and understand the journey of, you know, finally getting to the place where you realize you can't get through it on your own. And that I think my therapists have been angels sent from heaven. Right. <laughs> I think everybody should have a therapist. Everybody. Um, we all have things that we need to, to heal from. And so thank you for sharing that. It hasn't always been easy, but you are walking hand in hand with Jesus. And that makes all the difference. Um, I think to close, I'd like to ask you, what would you say to the church? And by the church, I mean the whole body of Christ, all of those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. When it comes to this issue of human trafficking, sex trafficking, what should Christians know and do so that we can put this evil to rest? Absolutely. That's a great question, Laura. Um, I would say, number one, I believe that it is our responsibility. I believe it's all of our callings to be the hands and feet of Christ to the broken and downtrodden. All right. And so uh, I believe that we have a responsibility to make ourselves, uh, once we are made aware of the situation, to look for solutions. Solutions might look like Going into Google, this is a really easy step. Go into Google and put human trafficking statistics in my area. Put your zip code in there. Mm -hmm. Okay, and find out. Make yourself knowledgeable about the issue. If that seems too overwhelming, then go into Google <laughs> and type um, anti-human trafficking organizations and then put your zip code in there. And get connected. Find out how you can donate your time your talent, your treasure to this work. Some mm -hmm. people, this will really resonate with you and you'll feel like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. No one should suffer from such a heinous crime. That right there is God calling you to action. 
That is God saying, this matters to you because it matters to me. Do something about it. And so um, find an organization that's already doing the work. You can go in, you can read and learn so much. Um, It's so overwhelming. There's so much information. But many of these organizations have um, materials um, that they can give you that are free and downloadable. They have classes and lunch and learns, and they are willing to come out to your organization or to your church um, and, and do trainings, right? So that you can know the ways that you can get involved. You know, mm-hmm. many um, local law enforcement have task force. Okay. And so you can find out what's happening in your state, right? And you can find out what the laws are in your state. Okay. Um, When it comes down to, you know, how does this, how can the church have influence here? Well, there's a political influence. Who are we electing um, into office that are passing particular bills that are affecting um, this demographic of people? So there's multiple ways that you can get involved. Um, I would say definitely do that. I am one individual. I'm not an organization as of yet. I'm an individual who speaks on this issue. You can invite individuals like myself to come and speak to your group and to give more information and get a game plan going. I do consulting in churches and get a game plan going on how we can start a ministry that would reach this demographic. And so um, the issue is broad, but we're capable. We're able. Yes. And I think it starts with exactly what you said. It starts with awareness and it starts with um, a recognition that it is going to take every one of us standing up for love and freedom and respect of of every individual to to make a dent in in what has become an enormous hidden problem um, in this in this world in our country in our state and it's up to us to bring it to the light and to not pretend that it's not happening so thank you again for those those um, instructive words I would challenge everyone listening to do exactly what Kia said. Type in human trafficking, sex trafficking, and your zip code and see what kind of organizations pop up as far as advocacy and help um, and also be aware of what those statistics look like near you. I'd also encourage each of you to buy Kia's book. It is called 1000 Elsewhere, A True Survivor Story. And I know it's available on Amazon. That's where I got it. I read the Kindle version. Um, Is that where you recommend people purchase it? Or do you have another place that's better? They can purchase it either on Amazon or they can purchase through my website. Um, And if they'd like a signed copy, just um, email me, info at K-E-E-Y-A, V as in Victor, A-W-A-R.com. And put your request in there and I'll send you out a signed copy. Amazing. Yes. Please visit Kia's website um, for more details. We will link it in the show notes. And Kia, I think that I'm going to be inviting you to come speak. I would love to. I have two teenage daughters and I would love to allow them to hear directly from you um, about some of those warning signs to be aware of as they go off to college and as they go through high school. I think the more we can educate our youth as well, um, the better off that will be. So thanks again for joining us here at Normal Goes a Long Way. We wish you all the best on your ministry and with your family. And um, just we're just thanking Jesus that he stepped into your life and that you have clung to him and, and walked with him 
um, for these past years and, and he's doing incredible things through you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor and um, I'm just excited about what you all are doing as well. And I'm so glad to be a part of it. After hearing this conversation between Laura and Kia, it has made me realize that there are so many things out there that I don't know anything about. And it's my responsibility to educate myself. And there are so many organizations that I don't even know exist. I encourage you to do the same thing that I'm going to do and learn more about human trafficking. And with January being Human Trafficking Awareness Month, let's do what we can to help fight this. Let's support those that Kia mentioned in the episode with Laura. Let's just do better. You can follow along on our social media accounts at Normal Goes a Long Way on Facebook and Instagram and also at normalgoesalongway.com. Thank you so much for taking a listen and doing what you can to help others. Have a great day.